Today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by Enclosed. If you're looking for a gift for your significant other, and if you've always wanted that gift to be lingerie, but you were too scared to go into a store, Enclosed is here to help. Enclosed is a female-owned business. Hello, Antonia, if you're listening. Specializing in high-end lingerie. We mean high-end, both in the quality of the product and in the customer service you'll receive. Because Enclosed comes with a size guarantee, which means you can't get it wrong and get the wrong size. Enclosed does all the work, and then you get the credit for the upscale gifts that will be delivered every month. And of course, we have an offer for you. If you go to enclosed.com, Gifts, that's E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot G-I-F-T-S and enter the code TOTALSUCKER, all one word, TOTALSUCKER. You'll get $35 off any multi-month gift. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who would not have scored for the US against Cuba tonight because his name doesn't begin with J. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Wow, that was that's a new one. Well done. Was it on the fly? Yes. All right. Yeah. So Josh and Jordan, there we are. Fact check me. Mm-hmm. It's correct. <laughs> it Two goals correct. each for mm-hmm. Sargent and Morris and the US wins 4-0 away, in heavy quotation marks, mm-hmm. to Cuba. It was in the Cayman Islands. In the hostile uh, atmosphere after rebounding from an emotionally traumatizing game against Canada or whatever Fox it was. Fox Sports 1 were trying their best yeah. to, sell it, to sell it. It was majority U.S. fans, actually, right? Was it? In the Cayman Islands. Yeah, I mean, there weren't many of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, but the, yeah, it was in front of a small crowd. And there's three people and two of them are pro-USA. 66% of the crowd. Wasn't a nice field. Really no. bumpy, nasty-looking mm-hmm. field. I'm going to say a pretty professional, get-the-job-done yeah. U.S. performance. I think we went in well-prepared for this, right? Expecting, like, not a pretty game, not great camera angles. Yeah. Just get in there, mm-hmm. get the job done, get out. And it was a conversation that you and I had a couple at a couple different points because I was sort of feeling frustrated with the idea of, like, U.S. is up 3-0, but they're completely sitting off, slowing it down, kind of content to see the game out. Mm-hmm. And my feeling was, like, if you've got – and Stu Holden himself said it. Like, if you're playing an inferior opponent, why not go at them and you want to score goals, you want to be in there, you want to prove that you belong and prove you can score – but your point, which I think is uh, fairly fair as well, is that these guys are in the middle of their club seasons. Some of they're them. They're playing a – yeah, some of them. Uh, they're playing a relatively meaningless game given that it's Cuba. They're up 3-0. Why go out there and risk getting into more physical challenges? Cuba yeah. were content to be physical, especially. Especially on a, especially on a bad field. Yeah. Don't get hurt. Don't be injured for the next mm-hmm. month because you went wild against Cuba when the game was already yeah. won, right? Once the game was 3-0, it was already won. There was no need mm-hmm. to exert or hurt yourself. Yeah, and I mean I think the player that got kicked around the most was probably Josh Sar- and I would say he was the one who was most active in dropping in and running around and trying to make things happen. He yeah. seemed to be the one who was on the receiving end of a lot of physical challenges. And so maybe, just maybe, some of the players saw that and was like, nah, maybe one touch is fine. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe slow touches around the back are fine as well. So to review this mm-hmm. um, this game, USA v. Cuba, it's, it's secure, worth saying it secures our passage to the CONCACAF yep. Nations League finals, which is a four-team tournament will pl- take place in June. Um it's happened. So to mm-hmm. review this game, we are going to dissect this game minute by minute. Mm-hmm. Right? We're going to take take each yeah, sixty so. second yep. segment of the game and break it down. I thought we were going to do that as like one of those podcasts where one minute of the game is yeah. one episode of the podcast. And we're going to do over the next ninety days, a ninety episode, ninety three episode series. I would genuinely quit this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, instead we ask for questions from Twitter about this game, but also about what happens next for the U.S. Mm-hmm. national team, right, going into twenty twenty, because people want to know about that. Yep. Um, so. We asked for questions on Twitter. We've like gone through and picked out twenty. I want to say twenty-one questions, oh boy. which we are going to go through rapid fire. Some about the game, but a lot about the future yeah. for the U.S. team, right? Because I think like everything that we've seen so far has been in the match recaps in Grant Wall's three things. A lot of it was sort of what did we learn? Yeah, there wasn't yeah. much to That's learn. A lot of people's feeling. There's yeah. some. There's some stuff to talk about. There's and some stuff. Yeah. This was a way of us knowing what people wanted to hear about. Right. Okay. So you ready to get going? Let's do it. All right. First question is from Andrew Sure. 
How mad should Aaron Long be at Jordan Morris? I mean, not really, is the answer. Uh, for Morris's uh, second goal, the U.S.'s third, it's basically a cross from Aaron Long, takes a bit of a deflection, kind of like loops and drops in, sort of similar to the Landon Donovan goal in the 2002 World Cup, where it takes a weird deflection and somehow it ends up in the back of the net. In this case, it ends up somehow in the back of the net because Jordan Morris is there to tap it in. Yeah. Replay shows it it's was going probably anyway. going in. Yeah, but I think I am a kind of a believer in that moment of you want to make sure. It's also the case that because Definitely. it's a deflection and probably across from Aaron Long, you don't know if he would have even been given credit for the goal. So I think between those number of factors, yeah. and I think the fact that we saw him on the replay uh, in the celebration say, like, it's all good or it's okay, yeah, I don't think Morris, he was too upset by Morris it. apologized and Long yes. said it's okay. And also okay. sheepishly smiled at the camera as well, which After I enjoyed. Scored. Yeah, he knew where the uh, goalpost camera <laughs> he did. was, right? He Jordan did. Morris. Um, also, Aaron Long's not short of international goals, right? That's true. I mean, mm-hmm. didn't he score against Canada just yeah. a few days ago? He's fine. He did. And, and he helped take down Thanos. So I think with all that in mind, <laughs> Like he's having a good year. He's having a good year. So next question. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll go back and forth asking the question instead of me keep doing it. Okay. Uh, uh, Josario Machoa or Josario Machoa, uh, did we learn anything new tonight? No, not Mm-mm. in a big way. Nope. But just us watching the game, we were watching for patterns. Mm-hmm. And I think what we did, not learn is maybe the wrong word, but we observed um, that the US went out there with some bear-haltery patterns of play, which yeah. is that they'd been told to do specific things in possession. Right. Um, one obvious example was to switch the field. It happened a lot, right, where the US would be on one side, Cuba would shuffle over a little bit, and we would quickly switch it from, say, left to right, to, uh, out to Yedlin mm-hmm. or um, out to Paul Ariola. And that would be the way that we would get around Cuba, right? Because yeah. they were very uh, very tight and compact. Uh, so we switched the field, and that, that stuff really, really worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that's, that's definitely a thing we learned in terms of patterns of play. Uh, I think we learned that the U.S., players as a whole have a decent first touch when it comes to CONCACAF fields because yeah. I do think that there were moments in which the ball would just pop up for no reason. Mm-hmm. There's the one that we both noted with uh, Tim Ream where yes. it pops up and he's able to control it really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jordan, Jordan Morris's first goal, the one that he takes after Weston McKinney flicks it on, again, under difficult circumstances on a soggy field with probably traction being limited, that he kind of kills that ball dead and then finishes well. Yep. Again, good first touches, good sort of technical play from the U.S. in a game that sort of invited non-technical play. Yep, so they're never going to be like massive big picture things no. that we learn that like, oh, suddenly this is a revelation, mm-hmm. but you can just observe little things in a game like this. Like I also observed um, just a little pattern where when the centre-backs had the ball on the left side, mm-hmm. McKenney would come deep and show for the ball. Right. When the centre-backs had the ball on the right side, Roldan would come deep and show for the ball. Those are like the left side and right side attacking midfielders. So just little things you can observe. Nothing big picture, though. No, no. And then I would say and then one more little thing or a couple more little things would just be some of the selections for the starting 11. Like you, you and I had wondered, is it Zardes or is it Sargent? Is it Zardes because you reward him for what he did against Canada yeah. and kind of how, how good he was in that one? Here we see, nope, like Sargent still has a role. And I would say did it much better again against Canada, but still better control for the most part, able to scrap, able to drop in, able to be involved. And I would also say the other question we had is, will we see Jackson Ewell at number six again? We saw it again tonight, which to me means... Oh, there's a question about Jackson Ewell later. It's him yeah. and probably Michael Bradley right now for the number six spot. Yeah. We shall see. It's, he's definitely ahead of World Trap, mm-hmm. right? Based on, based on this starting line. Seems that way. Next question is from at DJ Bonus Beats. How is this better than a friendly against a European team or a South American team? It's probably not, is the answer. I, I, I think, think that's right. Uh, the U.S., I, like, initially we thought, like, oh, they just kind of got a bad draw for CONCACAF Nations League. Really, this was kind of par for the course across all four groups, that mm-hmm. there was one standout team, one decent team, okay team, and then one pretty bad team. Uh, in this case, it's Cuba not getting any points. Yep. So... I think the only things you could say is that it's a competitive game, which means you can cap tie players. So at least that's a useful thing. Yeah. Um, it is going on the road against in like weird Concacaf conditions. Uh-huh. Uh, it's eighty degrees and very humid in uh, like like the Cayman Islands right now. So uh-huh. you got to do that, I guess, a little bit. But aside from that, it's probably not better right now. I think what you have to think about with the Nations League, and this gets to a question we're going to get later, is the future. So Beamer Jenkins then mm-hmm. asks, why was Cuba picked for League A? Yeah. Why was Cuba in League A? They are mm-hmm. clearly the least qualified CONCACAF squad. So why not a team on the cusp of the hex if not in the hex? So Beamer is essentially yep. complaining about the quality of opponent we faced in League A, which should be the top tier mm-hmm. of the CONCACAF Nations League. Yep. I know the answer to this, why Cuba was picked for League A. Um, instead of, say, a team like Jamaica, mm-hmm. who ended up in League B, who would have been a much tougher challenge. Did, yep. you, did you get a look at the qualification process? Yeah, because uh, like uh, CONCACAF wants to avoid communism, right? And so they wanted to make sure that they had a communist representative. 
Is that not it? That is not it. Okay, no. It's mostly because, uh, like, I, I do think what you're – I'm going to let you explain it because you will be able to say it better than I can. But I think my takeaway from this is it's the first time we're doing this. They're trying to yes. figure it out. Yes, I think that's absolutely it. So the way that the leagues were uh, picked, League mm-hmm. A, League B, League C. League A, the first six teams in were the teams from the 2018 World Cup qualifying hex, mm-hmm. right? So you, you have those six teams already seeded in there. And then every other team in CONCACAF was placed in one massive league table. It had, like, 30 plus teams in it and then they all only played four games each mm-hmm. and then the ta- then they were ranked in the table and then the top few teams from that were placed in league a right and the reason if you compare cuba with an obviously superior team like jamaica mm-hmm. they both played four games won three lost one um cuba had the superior goal difference yep. because they got to have a game against turks and caicos mm-hmm. and won 11-0 yep. right so it's just that they had a superior goal difference because they got look of the draw in the opposition they faced whereas jamaica didn't it's like when you're four weeks into the premier league season and like there was the like whole city or top of the table because they yeah. won all four but they're playing relegation candidates and it's like okay end the season there yep. all your champions that's, that's, that's kind, kind of, what, of happened. what happened it was a i think i still think the concaf nation is a decent yep. idea i think it was a very poorly thought through qualification process mm-hmm. that did not did not produce best results. Maybe they should have just gone with FIFA rankings for the initial yeah. um, uh, uh, staging of the CONCACAF Nations League. Yes, and I, I, I'm sure there are reasons why, and I'm sure it relates to making every uh, federation within the confederation feel like they're involved and feel like they have justification for playing and have a chance to make it to the top tier. But still, I'm with you. It makes more sense to go with the rankings up front. Cuba definitely relegated after mm-hmm. this inaugural edition of CONCACAF yeah, Nations Yeah, I believe it's my turn. Uh, yeah. John Neon, did you see anything from Yedlin tonight? that says he should be ahead of Reggie Cannon? No. I mean, it's tough, right? Because it's Cuba. Mm-hmm. So even if he'd been lights out, you could have said, oh, it's only Cuba. Mm-hmm. But I still saw a lot of moments from DeAndre Yedlin where we switched the field mm-hmm. or there was a long diagonal and he didn't control it. Right. It was like the flip side of, he got an assist, right, against Canada mm-hmm. when he miscontrolled um, a long diagonal from Yule from a free kick, but then chased it to the end line and still got the cross in to the far mm-hmm. post. There were a couple of those where he just miscontrolled it and it went out of play. Yeah, and I was I was trying to pay more attention to it because we had a few people who are either maybe Yedlin fans or Newcastle fans or some combination of the two who said that we've been a little too harsh on his crossing. Yeah. He's been good for Newcastle in his delivery, in his kind of attacking play. I think I agree with you. I saw some of what you saw tonight. Worth noting, he has the, the quick throw-in that leads to the Areola assist for the first yeah, goal. He does, That's yeah. good awareness. And I do think that that if you're going to be on the front foot, if you're going to be much more attacking, he is that option who has the pace to sort of run behind when the ball's on the left side and you get that big diagonal in. He seems like he is a decent enough attacking option from fullback. I don't know if that's enough to put him ahead of Reggie Cannon because I do think we've seen Reggie Cannon do a lot of impressive stuff as well in that right back spot, both defensively and offensively. Mark Bajarski mm-hmm. asks, which player stock has risen the most from the Nations League? So Jackson Yule. Four games against uh, mm-hmm. Canada twice and Cuba t- twice. Yep. Jackson Yule. Okay, yep. so he played in, I believe he played in the home game against Cuba. Mm-hmm. He didn't start at least the away game to Canada. He did not. He played in the home game against Canada and he played in this. So mm-hmm. he's actually done really well to only be involved in the good results. Yeah, three, win- <laughs> three wins for Jackson Yule. So in terms of average points per game, Jackson yeah. Yule's the winner here. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, but it's, he's also the big winner because uh, like he, he sort of, all you can do is like win the games that are in front of you and play the best you can in those games. And I would say he did just that. That like he did well in the two Cuba games, as well as you can do when you're playing mm-hmm. an opponent like I Cuba. Mean, I think he did a good job tonight where mm-hmm. he was... Uh, he would progress the ball from the defensive area where there's no pressure on mm-hmm. you, and he would get it into that congested zone where there's loads of Cuban players. Yeah. He was a nice little link player for there, and he was very good at spreading the field yep. in a Michael Bradley-ish kind of way, yeah. right? We saw the variation, and he can like play the ball quickly backwards if he knows it's not on. He can try to turn and go forward with it. He can try to spread it wide immediately. He can hold it up and then play those long diagonals. There's a variation in his passing ability that I really like. Yeah. But then we saw moments, especially in the Canada game, where there's also quick accelerations, quick bursts of pace, 10 and 15 yards to close down space, to block off options, or to close down a player if they've found a way to get on the ball. And I think that's something that we don't see as much from Michael Bradley. We tend to see him be more central and like cerebral, I think is the word that gets thrown around a little bit with him, yeah. and kind of has that's other like players the, cover in for him. That's like the, the thing that sounds like a compliment, but maybe isn't. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. So I think Jackson Ewell... the opposite Ewell, of athletic, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think Jackson Ewell showed he can do a lot of what Michael Bradley does, and then can do a few other things that maybe Michael Bradley 
Bradley doesn't do as well. Okay, Again, so I don't know if that puts him ahead. Maybe that's a question for later. But it I think is a question for later. He's a big performer. And then I think Jordan Morris, not necessarily just Nations League, but I think he has had a very good year, and that did not change with the Nations League. Yeah, so his good form for the U.S. has mm-hmm. coincided with good form for Seattle yeah. and winning MLS Cup mm-hmm. with Seattle. But I think, yeah, there's a good shout for, for Jordan Morris because he's now a go-to U.S. men's national team guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would have said that before the CONCACAF Nations no, League started. Certainly right? not. Mm-hmm. And now I think he's on, he's in everybody's starting 11, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think, including especially Greg Berhalter's, which is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely Jordan Morris. Anyone uh, else? Yeah, I've got a weird one. I would say Serginho Dest because we didn't have him <laughs> for, the, for the first two games against Cuba and against Canada. Yeah. He didn't have the call up. He was still deciding. Makes a decision, comes in, plays well. USA beats Canada. It's all about Serginho Dest. It's not really. But uh, I mean, I would say I think, st- his stock was never higher than when we were desperate to get him yeah. to, to mm-hmm. Commit to us, right? Yeah, so <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it went up from like like four thousand to like four thousand point one. Like okay. it still went up a little bit his stock, but like not maybe that much. Yeah, I got a couple of the nominations. Uh, Brad Guzan, yeah, um, his stock is definitely yeah, that's a really good argument over yeah. these last couple. Like now, I still think Zach Steffen's the starter, but I think we're in a situation where. If he has tendonitis, yes. for example, everyone's very, very comfortable with Brad Guzan. There not w- least because Guzan's passing out of the back yep. looked at least equal to Zach Steffens. Yeah, and especially on a field like tonight, which was mm. not great, Mm-mm. that he was still able to complete passes and never really put the U.S. in any sort of threat. That's pretty good. Again, part of that is Cuba. Um, but also, there were shots uh, from Canada and from Cuba tonight that like C- Cuba had one, I think, early on that took a deflection, and Guzan had to adjust. He makes the save. Yeah. None of them like too sprawling, too incredible, too game-saving, but they're routine and he made all the saves and kept two shutouts that's pretty much all you can ask my final nomination for mm-hmm. someone whose stock has risen throughout the nation's league games tim ream yep but maybe going as far back as the gold cup but we've definitely gone from a place where i wasn't thrilled about tim ream at left back yep. specifically now i'm thrilled about tim ream at left back wore the captain's armband for these last two games as yeah. well worth he noting played that. center back mm-hmm. this game but like his left back performance home to canada i thought was magnificent yep. yeah there we go so we've got some standout performers it means the nation's league is worthwhile turns out <laughs> more on that later mm-hmm. um today's total soccer show yes, is sponsored by policy genius tis the season taylor tis the season to elect benefits through your workplace most people know about open enrollment um, as decision time for healthcare coverages here but it's also the perfect moment to reassess your life insurance needs tis the season to elect benefits through your workplace la 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 i think that's my I favorite christmas have, carol if you have to add la 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 you're <laughs> yeah. fitting syllables right i think maybe maybe just maybe <laughs> yeah to properly provide for your family for the families most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage than they get through their jobs which means your employer life insurance is leaving you underinsured daryl maybe some of the u.s players would have taken out some extra insurance when they saw the state of the field in the cayman islands it's possible it's possible i hope not i hope that again we've learned from kuva and they weren't like oh no this is going to be difficult instead they're just like yeah bring it on i don't need no extra life insurance maybe they they faked toughness um like yeah. on, on the outside but they were secretly um <laughs> on their phones going to policygenius.com um comparing various insurance options maybe they just had the the calmness and poise and uh belief of a person who utilized policy genius as the easy way to shop for life insurance they weren't stressed out they weren't panicked it is a difficult thing to look for life insurance but policy genius makes it easy so maybe the players had utilized it and that's why they were just relaxed against canada and not at all stressed so you can find life insurance a plan that's not mm-hmm. tied to your job mm-hmm. and once you apply the policy genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape so if you're looking at your workplace benefits this month make sure to double double check your life insurance options mm-hmm. then go to policygenius.com excuse me it's policygenius.com mm-hmm. uh, to get quotes and apply in minutes that's right they can also help you find the right home and auto insurance disability insurance too that's policy genius the easy way to compare and buy life insurance thank you very much to policy genius for sponsoring today's episode thank you very much to hashtag tank for two is that where we are, I do believe? It is. Tank for two. Is Yule the starting number six now? I don't think so. I Agreed. think once Michael Bradley comes back, yep. he's still, I was going to say numero uno, but mm-hmm. it's numero six. Yes, it, I agree. <laughs> I think it's his, this is not going to be helpful, but I can explain it further. It's his until it's not, which is to say that like I think it's closer, that conversation is closer than it's ever been. But I think until Tyler Adams can come in and show that he is consistent oh, yeah. enough and fit enough, 
then I don't think he like like uh, Michael Bradley has lost it outright, and I don't think Jackson Ewell has done enough yet in two games against Cuba, one game against Canada to really move ahead of yeah. Michael Bradley. I think he's moved closer. Canada was the other. I don't honestly. I don't think a performance against Cuba moves the needle no. at all. But the performance against Canada, Agreed. still only Canada, but it's a team we just lost to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that moves the needle at least a little. And, and I'm not trying to call you up, but like that was a game in which you wanted more physicality. You were a little bit concerned about Jackson Ewell starting against Canada. Some of those fears. I would, I would assume were alleviated mm-hmm. but that isn't we got a little bit more of an answer of like oh, okay he can do it so that does raise our estimations of him a little bit I still think he's slightly behind Michael Bradley who is probably at this point slightly behind a fully fit and ready to go Tyler Adams not I'm just not Bear sure Helter's if head. we're I ever going to see that I'm not sure if in Berhalter's head Bradley is behind Adams that's right? true because he's talked about I need to see what he brings at yeah. the six in terms You're of right. his passing range and all that it's that's probably the, wishful thinking that's the great mystery of 2020 mm-hmm. is what hap- do we get a fit Tyler Adams and where do we put him on the field well Maybe maybe that mystery will play into the next question that we can help answer. Uh, Price the Greater, what is the difference between the USMNT in December of 2018 and the USMNT in December of 2019? I don't think we're going to get to answer the Tyler Adams question here because I mean, he barely featured. I mean, in I kind of have an answer that it relates to Tyler Adams, but I think essentially the best way I can explain this uh, from my perspective is in 2018, uh, we didn't know what we didn't know. And right now we know what we don't know. That's how I'm going to answer that question. What don't we know? Um, I would say we don't yet know, is the system evolving like like the way we want it to be evolving, or are we kind of still sticking with it? There were moments tonight when I saw the four four two defensive shape that made me sad, and I noted them, and they made me even sadder. But then, like, will Adams uh, play a role as number six? Will he become our eventual number six starter? Will Josie be the number nine? Will he be the difference maker? Who is the, like that number six? Go, like, I like, see. There's see. a few questions that I think we know more specifically than we did at this point last year. Okay, so when it was just Berhalter's mm-hmm. coming, we yeah. were just sort of like, all right, let's see what that's about. That's December 2018, exactly. right? Now we've had a year of Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. We're sort of, we have the questions that we have about the way he sets it up yeah. and who goes where. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. Um, what else? What is the difference between December 2018 and December I mean, I think some, some of the answers we've already given factor in here about like you look at the players that stood out of the Nations League. Tim Ream is an example, a player that we probably didn't st- expect much from in December of 2018. Yeah. And now we fully expect to be around for a good little bit of time. I would say Jordan Morris fits into that one. Aaron Long, Jackson yeah. Ewell as well. And maybe even Sergio Dest can be added to that list of like, we now know he's going to be with the U.S. We now know he's ready to be a starting fullback at whatever side, maybe mm-hmm. even a winger if, we need, if need be. Like so, we have a few of those answers to questions that maybe we didn't even know were questions at that point, mm-hmm. but they were, and we answered them, and now we have them. All right, York York asks: Is the Concacaf Nations League a waste of time? Yes, right now, but no long term. Okay, <laughs> and and really, that's me be, still being harsh because this round I think is is never going to be as exciting. Uh, do you have the results? I've just got an update for you in uh-huh. the ninety third minute. Um, and Tuna has scored and Mexico and now beating Bermuda 2-1. I was scrolling through Twitter frank- frantically trying to find that earlier. This was important yep. because it um, affects the um, the final uh, like seedings for the final four tournaments mm-hmm. that we go to in June. Like With that win, I think Mexico will be top of the seedings and it means the US will be playing Honduras mm. in their semifinal I think match. I think the only way that was going to change We would change... have been playing Mexico. No, we would if Mexico lost, we would have been. Otherwise, Mexico we're going to go through with 10 points oh, on I top see. no matter what. Yeah, I saw Ivis uh, tweeted that and then corrected it that yeah, unless Bermuda had found a way to win, it was always going to be Mexico, Costa Rica, USA, Honduras. So, okay. we know that, but I think like that will be exciting even if even if it is right now. This is the thing that you kind of had to get me on board for and I think I am that like Right now, because it's the first iteration and it's like, okay, so it's a Nations League, semifinal, championship, whatever, but it's the first time it's happened, so it doesn't feel as like momentous as it might like yeah. years from now. And we had the weird setup where we ended up with Cuba right. in our group, which mm-hmm. made it feel less sort yeah. of made it feel less like a real tournament, really. But come a me- a meaningful game against Honduras, hopefully a meaningful final against likely Mexico. Mm-hmm. There will be a third place game. Hopefully we're not playing in that one. Yep. But I think that will be exciting because then those are competitive games at a time when the United States wouldn't otherwise have any because it's gonna be in the summer of twenty twenty when we're not competing in Copa America. So there's that. Yeah. Um but then I think going Going forward, like as we said, this time around it was a weird allocation order of four wins and goal difference and whatever, regardless of your opponent. I'm going to assume that it's going to get streamlined and figured out more, and it's going to end up being that you will get stronger groups in Group A, but also because the entire goal of the Nations League is to help develop smaller nations so that they get more experience, more repetitions. You look at Curacao as a good example of that this year. You're going to get more teams like that, more nations like that. It will eventually become more competitive, and that's good for the U.S. and good for the Confederation as a whole. 
Okay, so from a US perspective and a confederation-wide perspective, the CONCACAF Nations League is not a waste of time. It's also, I think people made this argument at the time as Mm. well, you've got to remember that they're doing the UEFA Nations League, so games against European countries are a lot harder to come by all of a sudden because their calendar is full of those games, right? So um, you've got to have your own Nations League just to make sure that you can have have some games, basically. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it really does just come down to the fact that it was Cuba who are... Such an eminently, be- eminently beatable team. I, actually, I'd also point to the games against Canada as yep. evidence that it's not a waste of time. We had some drama, mm-hmm. right? We had the low of losing away to Canada and the medium high of redeeming ourselves in Orlando. What right? I'm hearing that doesn't happen if it's friendlies, right? That only happens when there are points at stake. This is true, but what I'm hearing now is a Daryl conspiracy in which the United States threw the first game against Canada to build drama for the <laughs> Nations League. I see what you're doing here. Yeah, Darryl. that's what, I see it what is. you're doing. Yeah, yep. mm-hmm. it was like a wrestling narrative. Yeah, <laughs> Jesse Frankel, uh, who from the recent youth teams has a chance to break into the USMNT in 2020 and start to push for a 2022 spot. By the recent youth teams, are we including U23s? Or are we only doing like U20s and U7s? I'm going to say whatever you want. Um, it really depends on like mm-hmm. if Richie Ledesma gets some first team minutes yep. for PSV, I think he's a candidate. But it all depends on him getting first team minutes for PSV, mm-hmm. right? Same goes for any of those kids in the, in the Netherlands um, or in Germany. Right. I think uh, the one that seems to be Chris the Chris Richard's of... the same. I reckon maybe yep. one Bayern Munich appearance, mm-hmm. like senior team Bayern Munich appearance. And I think he might get himself a caller. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's a good shout. I would say Giovanni Reina kind of similarly. If, if he breaks through at Dortmund. It, it, but yeah. it feels like this 2020 could be sort of the parallel for when Christian Pulisic first found his way, when it was like you have the the winter camp where he's maybe uh, – Reina could be training with the first team. Yeah. Maybe that goes well. Maybe he comes back. Maybe play some friendlies in the winter camp. And then he's got like, oh, now he's on the bench for this game. And he got like five minutes in the DFB Pokal. And you start to see a few minutes here and a few minutes there get, building a little bit of consistency. Mm-hmm. That would probably be enough as well for him to start getting call-ups in 2020 in maybe those March friendlies with an eye towards potentially the uh, CONCACAF semifinals and final. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think maybe a more realistic shout because he's already in a first-team situation. And this is a U20 and then also U23 player. Mm-hmm. Paxton Pomacar, yeah. he's already had his what, five minutes or whatever he played against mm-hmm. Uruguay. Um, I think there's, there is a serious chance that he could break into the uh, the senior team yeah. in, in 2020. Yeah. yeah, just depending on, I guess, injuries and if he gets a move, if he moves elsewhere, yeah. maybe he's going to be focused on that. We shall see. Or if he's busy with the Olympics. But is that, I mean, and, and there are definitely other names that you could throw out there, but a lot of them would be me sort of like, I hope this works. It could be that guy. But yeah. those are the only ones that I feel, because like even Alex Mendez, I think we would both agree you want to see him start getting first team opportunities or being involved in the Ajax first team before we see him. Yeah, same as Odessa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 I almost feel like it's less likely for Mendes mm-hmm. just because the Ajax team is deeper. Is that? Right? Are they? Are you sure? Yes, they definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Half Spaces Ben mm-hmm. Harold asks, um, with January camp in Qatar and Germany slash Holland on winter break, could Berhalter get some of the Euro guys in January camp for a bit? So some context for this question. I know you know, Taylor, this is for like you know listeners who maybe don't know. Mm-hmm. January camp, the US often has a, a camp and then a friendly at the end of January, sometimes two. Um, and then it's all almost all Mm. MLS players because those guys do not have club commitments during the month of January. Um, Ben is asking, because Germany and Holland have a winter break, Mm -hmm. could we get some of those Euro-based players like Richie Ledesma or Alex Mendes uh, joining joining the uh, January camp? Two-part two answer to this one. First part is that with some of those guys we mentioned, like a Gio Reyna, it makes more sense for him to stay with Dortmund while they're doing the winter camp because that maybe potentially gives him opportunities to play with the first team, yeah. get uh, friendly minutes, and then maybe go on to play the rest of the season. But the bigger one is just that, uh, as far as I understand it, the winter break in Germany ends before the United States yep. is probably going to be playing those winter-friendly games. So, yeah, it's yes. late, late December to mid-January. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted Josh Sargent, for example, to join the mm-hmm. January camp... He can't because the game will be at the end of January. He'll right. already be having Werder Bremen games uh, in that time. Which I w- we should note, like, the question was get them in camp for a bit, which maybe implies that uh, Ben knew that one. Uh, mm. But I would still say, like, to call them in for a few days and then send them back to their club. I don't know if if that matters as much to me as them just staying with their club yeah. and getting the kind of repetition and patterns they need. The only argument for it is that it seems to be different to a regular January camp because it's in Qatar. Mm-hmm. So th- th- I don't think this is official yet, but they've st- US Soccer's talked about this. It's probably official at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the January camp will take place in Qatar to basically get used to the country mm-hmm. and the setup and you know just give everyone a little taste of what life in Qatar is like in advance of us, you know, fingers crossed, yeah. making the World Cup. Is it worth it to fly just Sergeant out there just for a few days 
couple of training sessions, he can have a look around Doha. No, I don't think no, so. Okay. No, I mean, the, I mean, as far as I know, a lot of German teams end up going to the Middle East to play because it's warm weather. So yeah. they'll go there for those winter camps anyway. So he may already have that experience. Also because I believe at the end of it, the United States then flies back to play their second kind of January camp game in the U.S. So there's a game in Qatar and uh, then a game in the U.S. And then I think there's the report I saw was like, and then maybe some closed-door friendlies against European teams who will be in that area already. So... Like you'll get some closed door friendlies there. You get one game, but then the rest of the game, the other game being back in the U.S. But I don't why, know. Why are those arguments against Sergeant just going out there for a few days to get a taste of? Life because it's exactly that. Because it's just like he's going out there to get a taste. Like I don't know if that actually helps him at all. Like being in a, in a country for like four days. Yeah. Is that really like I don't I don't feel like you can come away it's and be like I know it all now and now I'm totally settled. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a lot of travel. It's a mm-hmm. lot of travel. Maybe yeah. he could just write, read the Lonely Planet guide or something. Yeah. All right. That's fine with me. <laughs> Next question uh, comes from Dan Vaughn. If Roldan and Lovitz are still getting starts after subpar play. Play. Why won't uh, Greg Berhalter play the kids? Doesn't that make more sense? So the kids are either in the U23 camp mm-hmm. getting ready for Olympic qualifying or they're in the and or they're in mm-hmm. the Richie Ledesma Alex Mendes situation where they haven't yet played first team football. Right. I think that's basically it, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean I, I and I I, I can't think, think of any other kids that could be playing instead. Like Dwayne Holmes is not a kid, right? He's mid twenties. No. I mean I, I I guess like maybe the you could expand this to why not call in other names that we haven't seen in a while, like maybe give Fabian Johnson a go at left back, something like that. And I think that young whippersnapper Fabian that's Johnson. That's what I'm saying is like because you've already answered it. Like most of the young whippersnappers are either already occupied or haven't made their first team debut or are injured. So yeah. that kind of explains it. And I also think that you look at those names, Roldan and Lovitz, and those are guys, I believe, who both were with uh, Berhalter in January camp. I think Lovitz got his first call up to the national team under Berhalter in that January camp yeah. and has stuck around since then. So I think these are kind of group guys who he thinks that, I, at the very least, I think they're doing things that Berhalter wants and likes, even it. if maybe they're not so high profile. I w- yeah, I would argue the subpar play is mostly fans' observations. It may not be Greg Berhalter's mm-hmm. observations. We found just a little uh, snippet in, you remember the goal um, tonight, is it the fourth goal? Um, second half, where it's crossed to the far post, mm-hmm. Boyd like backhills it and Josh Sargent finishes it, yep. right? Um, there is a moment in that where Christian Roldan, I think he's doing a bit of a bear-halter positional play mm-hmm. thing. He's making a run at a specific time that occupies the Cuban right back, drags him out of position and leaves, that's what creates Tyler Boyd being open at the far post. And I think there are little things like that, that Christian Roldan is um, sort of like someone from the OA. He's doing the movements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your, your, uh, your sister-in-law would appreciate that joke. Oh, and, um, and my wife. I just refuse to, to, <laughs> to indulge you in that. So he's doing uh-huh. the movements that it's not really appreciated by most people, just like the OA. That's why it was cancelled. Uh-huh. But Greg Bradhalter exactly. is, <laughs> is a big fan of the OA. He wanted a third season, and he maybe sees Roldan doing that and you know gives him a gives him a big check mark for it. Um, so I'm just yeah. saying there may be things that Roldan and Lovitz are doing that Berhalter appreciates that um, fans maybe quite rightly don't because you're not watching the game in the same level of detail that Berhalter is. I agree with you, but about, I... W- about there needing to be a third season? Uh, no, definitely not that. I agree with you. I haven't even seen the show. But I, I, agree, <laughs> I agree with you that I've seen the dancing and I'm like the weird thing. I'm just like, yeah, okay, there's enough stuff on Netflix. <laughs> Netflix needs to calm down. Um, I agree with you with everything you've said. I, I do also agree with some of the frustration about some of these selections. Yeah. And what I would say is that for me, again, this year has been about Burhalter sort of finding out what's working and what isn't working, figuring out who fits and doesn't fit. What will frustrate me is, as an example, again, Will Trap may be a very nice guy, a good player for Columbus, but like, is he going to need to be on this team anymore? If Tyler Adams is fully fit, if Michael Bradley is fully fit, if Jackson Ewell is fully fit, that's three players playing number six. Does Will Trap need to keep getting called in? So if we keep seeing Will Trap, Corey Baird, Lovitz called in six months from now or a year from now, to me... When, and like, and that's if and when all those other players that we've been talking about start getting first team reps. And there's a breakout left back. Yeah. There's a, like that is where I'm going to start to scratch my head a little bit and be like, I get that those guys did that job in that moment, but a few runs that like, oh, see, it's working, do not justify then continued call ups at the expense of other players who could be doing better. Okay, hold all those thoughts in your mm-hmm. head because Dan Vaughan asked specifically about Roldan and Lovins. Mm-hmm. Greyhair Gaming asks, mm-hmm. now that it gets, quote-unquote, more serious with World Cup qualifying, which 2020 does, do you think we see less of the Lovitz and Roldans of the world and more of a different, quote-unquote, group? So I think the, Ro- the Lovitz and Roldans of the world maybe uh, also includes someone like Will Trap, right? So yeah. do we – essentially, to, if I can rephrase Greyhair Gaming's question, do we start to see certain players phased out 
in 2020. Maybe Lovitz, maybe Roldan, maybe Will Trap. Is there anyone else you could see being phased out if, for example, Ledesma and or Mendes or Richards or some people start coming through at, at their club teams? Um, I would actually stick with Lovitz and Roldan for a minute to say I don't think so with either one of them for different reasons. I think for Lovitz, like really, if you're looking at a defensive left back who's maybe going to get a little bit forward but really do much more defensive work, it's Tim Ream right now, and then it's probably Daniel Lovitz. And I don't really know who else is in there as a defensive left back. So, so Dest is an attacking left back. Yeah, yeah. and also we've so, now— Which means Lovitz— probably quite often makes the roster just in case you need that right. backup defensive. And, and I also think right now... He's in the group. I want, like, my back four is Tim Ream, left back, uh, John Brooks, Aaron Long, and then Serginho Dest at right back, if that's the way Greg Berhalter wants to go, if yeah. that's where he feels most comfortable with Is that the starting Dest. four against Canada? It was yes. indeed, and I think it worked quite well. So uh, I think Lovitz continues to get call-ups, even if it frustrates people, because there are a lack of options as that defensive fullback, maybe with a more attacking left back, if he wants that, then you get somebody else. With Christian Roldan, until, again, until somebody else comes in and really shows that they are able to perform at a better level, because mm-hmm. I think it will take that. I think Roldan is a Berhalter guy right now. I think Berhalter likes what Roldan brings. Maybe he likes the locker room chemistry he brings in as well. Like so, in, so until somebody can come in and show that they can do all those things but do them better, I think we'll keep seeing Christian Roldan as well. It, it frustrates me a little bit because I would like to see Dwayne Holmes given a chance, even though yeah. he's only a number 10. I do think Greg Berhalter is really, really good at that, by the way. I think that's a, an underrated What's skill that? set. Like I saw... I think it was Will Parchman tweet this a couple months ago. Like, how is it that Greg Berhalter has made our entire conversation about the number six spot about who can play long diagonals? Yeah. Like, well, he, because he said that's what he wants his number six to do. Right, but that's right? my point. Is like he is like, well, you've got to be able to hit those diagonals, and then we're all suddenly talking about which number six can hit the best diagonals, and it's like, well, wait, why is that what we need from a number six? Like, that's all I mean to say yeah. is like he does a thing of like, no, Dwayne Holmes is a number ten, and now we're like, well, he sees him as a number ten, well, so he's not going to ever be called because in. Because we have to change the conversation around right. the information we have about what we know that he wants. Okay, right, so yeah. he's, he's forcing us into certain uh, uh, player profiles because mm-hmm. once we know a bit about what his profile is. Right. right. Yeah. But I'm just saying like he's really good at establishing that like, well, this is that guy's player profile. And then we're sort of like, OK, I guess that's how it is. But I will say to be to give credit to mm-hmm. Berhalter, he's not just making that up um, as excuses. Those are things that he's sticking to. Right. He yeah. hasn't played a number six that isn't a big diagonal hitter. Yeah. This whole time. It's been Bradley or Trap or York. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been. Um, like a Danny Williams Russell or yeah. Russell Canals yeah. or mm-hmm. yeah, Alfredo Morales playing yeah. there. So yeah, I'm with at you. At least he's honest, even if it's annoying. Yeah. Oh, no, I just think he's really... Oh, no, I, I never said he was dishonest. No, I know, I know. It's just I think he's very good about structuring those types of conversations so that we don't pause and think. That I think he's not trying to structure the conversation. He's literally telling you, this is what I want from this player. And then the, the only conversation we then can have, right, is mm-hmm. around, is who goes in that spot that can do that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. We, can, we can agree to disagree to move on. But, like, but I think um, in, in those moments that like you're going to continue to see Christian rolled on because that's the player that he likes in that spot, doing that sort of role, and until somebody else can break through, I think, again, he'll stick around. So I think the, the only the big breakthrough of when the group mm-hmm. changes could be post-Olympics, yep. right? And post-Olympics could be post-March if mm-hmm. we fail to qualify um, or post-August after the tournament. I think that does open the pool up to more players more potential players in this, the, uh, the the main senior team group. It op- does open it up to guys like Paxton Pomacal or Miles Robinson or someone like that, uh, or and maybe even Anthony Robinson, mm-hmm. becoming part of the senior group because there's no longer that U23 squad to push them into instead, right? right? So there might be a bit of a... Um, the floodgates might open a little bit once the U23 team is no longer an option to select players. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And then the only other wrinkle that I think is worth noting is if the United States starts playing, say we go to the CONCACAF Nations League championship round of Elite Four or whatever it's called. We're already called. there. Yeah. The CONCACAF um, Nations no, League finals. But say we go to that and suddenly it's Christian Roldan and Lovett starting as your left back in number eight and they get like obviously outplayed. I think only if a player is obviously not at a level that is required for the U.S. going forward. And I know a lot of people would say the Glovitz isn't. Christian Roldan isn't. They're not world-class players. I think I'm there's not. a better argument for Lovitz than Roldan. Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying like I'm not disagreeing with either one of those. Like I'm not saying no. They're definitely world class. What I'm saying is that like until they they're on the Ballon d'Or list, yeah, right? But until they are like obviously exposed at not being at that level, mm-hmm. and that only happens very rarely. The one that comes to mind was like Breck Shea had that one game where he couldn't even like dribble in bounds, and I yeah. think that was kind of it for him for a very long time. It takes that yeah, level. Jurgen was like. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's every now and then you'll get a few of those, but that would be I the only do other like way. I like his paintings. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, speaking of uh, well-crafted works, uh, should we talk about today's other sponsor? Let's do. Today's mm. show is sponsored by Manscaped, mm-hmm. the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. I can tell you that Manscaped did not take care of that field. They did not, right? Cayman Islands. If they did, it would have been nice and smooth. That's right. There were there were divots. There were nicks. There were cuts. It yeah. was all torn up. Oh, that yeah. felt painful. No, and like it it was it was too wet. With Manscaped, you've got the electric shaver. You don't need any moisture. You can just <laughs> use the electric shaver, so you're not going to have this like slippery face that has no traction. You oh. won't have that sort of issue. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools mm-hmm. for your family jewels. Yeah, so you won't have any like uh, nicks or cuts or snags or uh, I guess like uh, grass flying up down there. The way we saw uh, in this game against Cuba. With manscaping, accidents are finally a mm-hmm. thing of the past. The Lawnmower 2.0. With that, they've redesigned the electric trimmer. It has proprietary skin safe technology. This trimmer won't nick or snag anything. That's right. And then they've got uh, other products as well that can be beneficial, like the Crop Preserver, which is an anti chafing deodorant and moisturizing for your uh, downstairs parts. But again, like if you're suddenly going to find yourself in the, in the uh, Cayman Islands in an 80 degree evening with a lot of humidity, Maybe you need some uh, preventative measures against uh, chafing, and maybe the deodorant factor's in there, too. Well, I'm convinced, but I want Mm -hmm. 20% off. Luckily, I can get 20% off and free shipping if I use the code TSS at Mm manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Mr. Bearhalter. <laughs> Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode and for, uh, in an alternate reality, taking care of that field so it was well-groomed and ready to go. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Beardless Jack, who simply asks, what will we remember most from 2019? Ooh. Dest? I mean, I'm assuming this is about U.S. soccer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Sajunia Desk making the decision to represent the United States. I think, I, honestly, it's one of those things where it depends on how it goes next year and the year after. That, like, if things crash and burn, we probably remember, like, the warning signs. Whereas if things turn yeah. around and are great, then it's probably Sajunia Desk. Yeah. Okay, but December 31st, 2019, mm-hmm. yep. like, last day of the year, you're just looking back on, oh, that was my year watching the U.S. men's national team. What, do you rem- what will you remember most from 2019? Um, to be totally honest, like, frustration. A feeling okay. of frustration. From a specific moment? Or specific moments, I'm guessing Canada? Well, first of all, I should very much clarify that we are definitely approaching this as we have with most of these questions from a USMNT standpoint. If we're talking about what we remember most in terms of soccer from 2019, no, no, US- it will be the women's team winning the World Cup. Of course. Of we course, should note course. that. Yeah, but this is um, a US men's national yeah. team questions. Yeah. Um, I think it's frustration for me. I think it will be a year of sort of like enthusiasm at times, but a lot of it was more so like, I don't quite understand why this is happening. Is that result good? Did we play well? Why did that result happen? I think like, again, we have struggled at times to be able to say like, oh, well, this game was really good. Or there were these like wonderful, bright moments. And so I think there were positive moments, certainly, but there were enough negative moments and kind of frustrating moments that I think right now that's kind of where my head is. Can I nail you down to like a specific moment or game that like will really stand out as the thing you'll remember? Because I can honestly say that when I look back at 2019, I will remember the Sergio Dest Mm -hmm. moment and I'll buy you time by explaining it. No, I can tell you. Because it especially came at a moment when Mm -hmm. a lot of people were very down on Berhalter and on the national team and a lot of people were just saying there's no way because everything always goes wrong. Everything's terrible. Why would you even want to play for this team? And then the fact that he, Dest chose to play for the US really was this like bright spot of optimism and positivity. So it really stood out in the mm-hmm. moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I like that. I think the reason where, why I say frustration, if you wanted me to like give you a specific moment, it yeah. is probably, I believe, I say specific and then I'm asking you to help me clarify. I believe it's after the 3-0 loss to Mexico. It wasn't, it wasn't the loss itself. It was when the post-match press conference happened and I think he got a couple questions about being overrun or outplayed and Berhalter, that was the first time I feel like we saw him get prickly and he had that response of like, oh, I see the way this is going and it was sort of in that moment like, how did you think it was going to go? Like, you just lost Mm -hmm. 3-0 to our arch rival. Of course the questions are going to be hard and I think that was the first moment where I truly was like, this might not be right. Yep. Something might be wrong here. I don't, and I'm not saying that that was the moment I was like, he's got to be out. And I, and I no, have I sort of come around a little bit on Greg Berhalter, but I think that was the moment of the year when I was sort of like, wait a minute. I think that's a great pick because mm-hmm. I also think that game and that post-match press conference encapsulates everyone's frustrations with Greg Berhalter mm-hmm. and it encapsulates his determination yep. to do what he's doing and to think long-term, mm-hmm. right? There's definitely a clash in that moment of we, myself included, 
wanted the US to just be competitive against Mexico, even though it was a friendly, it's important to almost treat this game like there's points on the line mm-hmm. because it's a rivalry match. Whereas he treated it like an exercise where we go out and we try and like implement this game plan and do the movements. And that's what's important is to just try that. Right. right. And I think we really saw those two things clash in that moment and mm-hmm. then in the press conference and then with everyone's reaction to that game. Yeah. So I actually think you might have found the perfect moment. Well, thank you. Yeah. I try. I try. But yeah, I think that's probably it for me. And then, yeah, the positive if I'm if it, is, it ends up being positive, I think it's probably Serginho Dest is the one that like oh good yeah I wish I thought of that between that and then and then honestly the other one is probably Jordan Morris that that has it has been the, the turnaround the biggest turnaround that at this the point last kid. year if you were like I'm gonna tell you this I think Jordan Morris is gonna be a key contributor for the United States and maybe one of our maybe our most dangerous attacker right yeah. now at this point I would have laughed and laughed and mocked you hard and, and then hoped, the left foot. and then I would have hoped that you didn't remember it uh, <laughs> at this point a year later. <laughs> Great question, Beardless Jack. Great mm-hmm. question. Um, Robert Cordova asks, will the exact same US-based MLS players that were called up in the pre-camp camp roster be the same players called into the January camp? So, for those who don't remember, mm-hmm. before this round of Nations League games, before the, 20, the final 23 was named, um, Berhalter called up 20 MLS players uh, for a sort of pre-camp camp, right? Mm-hmm. Before the Euro players were added, before the uh, players in the MLS Cup uh, final game right. were added. So Robert's asking, when we see the January camp, will it be the same players as those 20? Mostly. I think I think what you're going to see... So is Corey Baird will be there? I think you're going to see the five who went with the U23s probably not included because we are thinking we, there'll be a U23 camp at the same we're time. We're assuming there'll be a U23 camp at the same yeah. time, right? Um, so I think some of those players will be gone. I think like the question marks would be maybe around a player like Chase Gasper. Like, does he mm. get called to the January camp? That seems like it would make sense, other than the fact that he seems to be more attacking left back. I mean, I'll guarantee he won't put a foot wrong between now and January. <laughs> that is... Well, you don't know. He could hurt himself. You know what's going to happen. Um, so, like, he he is one that maybe we'll see. Uh, I think last time uh, Berhalter called in 12 uncapped players and seven players who'd never been called in so before. January 2018? Yeah, yeah, I don't know how that happened. January 2019, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't know how that would happen this time because looking at MLS this season, like, I don't see a lot of breakout players that haven't already gotten some looks by Burhalter or mm-hmm. some looks by U.S. Soccer. So I'm sure we'll see a few names. But yes, I think overall we're going to see a lot of the f- same names we've seen. I'm going to say, assuming mm-hmm. there is a U23 yep. January camp, that camp is going to take all the fun out of the senior roster mm-hmm. camp. Because the guys that you would have been excited about, like Pomacal or Aronson or Miles Robinson will all go to the U23 camp and it'll make the the senior camp will be mm-hmm. the same old, same old, right? Yeah. It'll be very much the group. Yeah, and 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 I think like with that in mind, because Go on, ta- Corey Baird. We talked about we talked about like Do uh, that thing you do. The five players who I forget now is like Georgia Mihailovic, Mark McKenzie, uh Jeremy Obobase. I forget there's two more in that like twenty player camp. If they'll uh-huh. be with the U twenty threes. I don't know if Keaton Parks was in there, but he's one who He's gone back to Benfica, I believe. Yeah. So like if maybe if NYCFC make that official, another one similar to that would be Emerson Heinemann. If Atlanta United made that official, mm. maybe both of them are involved in the in the January camp. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that depends on them Especially being Especially Heinemann, because he's too old for the for the U twenty threes. Yeah, okay, yeah. there you go. Uh yeah, definitely. And then uh Mason Toy, another one who could be with the U twenty threes, if not. Then the only other two outliers I had would be maybe Darlington Nagby gets one more invitation just to see if it totally was a like no I'm done with US soccer or if it just happened to be two bad moments I completely forgot mm-hmm. yeah. yeah now back at Columbus I believe so yeah. we'll see I say back at Columbus I mean back uh, in Ohio back in Ohio and then the only other one like this may be a little bit strange to you because I'm not sure if you listened to that show with Joe Lowry but I really liked what I saw from Justin Glad from RSL in the playoffs I thought he was really good in possession and playing some line splitting yep. passes I've got three words for you what's that U23 so again yeah if he's, <laughs> if he's in there I'm fine with it but if it's not a U23 camp I wouldn't mind seeing what he can do with the senior team okay Sounds good. Um, next question is from Mixed Discaroods Hair. Oh, boy. It's, it's sentient. Um, how do you think we do in the Nations League playoffs? I, it's, it, I don't mean to like wishy-washy answer this one. I just – we haven't seen Honduras yet. So I genuinely yeah. don't know like if Honduras' group was just really bad and they like smoked everybody or if this is a kind of rejuvenated Honduras team that we haven't really seen since what, like the 2010 mm-hmm. World Cup when they were that sort of like, ooh, Palacios is destroying people. So in case anyone missed it earlier, mm-hmm. the Nations League finals will be um, – it's going to be in a host country if it mirrors the way the UEFA one went. That hasn't been named yet. It's going to be in June – but we don't know the exact dates. 
the seeding is now set, right? Mm. So it will be in one semifinal. It will be Mexico, the one seed, against Costa Rica, the four seed. And then it will be the two place three, which is USA versus Honduras, mm. or the other way around. But yeah. either way, we will play Honduras. I think it's Honduras versus USA. So it will be Honduras versus USA in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great CONCACAF test. Yeah, Honduras. I do too. I don't know a lot about the current team, but I'm going to say um, Honduras at least is a more traditionally – challenging CONCACAF opponent than, say, Canada. That is well right? said. That yeah. is well said. And and also, I would say, at least in the last two cycles, has been a team that sort of conformed to the model of win at home, draw on the road yeah. should be the goal. Smash them at home, right? right. You can beat them 6-0 at yeah, home and exactly. then away. So yeah. I, I would say, I think, I would expect us to be strong and uh, confident against Honduras and, and like look for the United States to kind of continue to play the soccer that we saw them play against Canada. Hopefully not have a, a front two and a 4-4-2. I don't want to see that defensively. <laughs> um, and then it comes down to if they get past Honduras, which I, I want them to and I hope they will and yeah. I think they should. Uh, then it comes I, down... Yeah, we expect them to be Honduras, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. to answer the question... How I think I'm just think being do? very mindful that I have not seen Honduras, so I don't want to I be like, it, they're yeah. easy. All right, but based on what we know and feel yeah. mm-hmm. right now, we think we make the final, yeah. at least. Yes, yeah? and then... Then it's Mexico, and I don't have any ideas what's going to happen there. Well, hopefully it looks more like the Gold Cup final mm-hmm. than the friendly that followed right. it, but it looks like a better version of the U.S. in the Gold Cup final. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that's probably what we sh- what we should hope for, is that I think as long as you're seeing like measured progress where, oh, we couldn't even complete that pass before, we had no answers for it, now we're completing sequences of passes, or we are having more direct balls to sort of alleviate pressure. Oh, Mexico made that swap, yeah. but it still didn't really matter because we were able to shut down that side as well. Like, uh-huh. I want to see the United States sort of respond to some deficiencies from the first two times. I want to see direct balls that look like they're part of a plan. Like, not a nice. direct ball, yeah. like, we can't play out, so let's just go direct. But I'd like to see us go direct, and then the striker has, like, someone trailing them or running behind them or running uh, parallel to them. Mm -hmm. So it's like a pattern that's been established of, okay, when we go direct, this is where everybody needs to be. You know what I'm saying? Like a planned direct ball. A planned direct ball, indeed. Uh, Old Joe, anything else on that one? Uh, No, I'm happy with that, yeah. Uh, Old Joe asks, what are the optimal U.S. venues for World Cup qualifying? Ooh, I still think Columbus, mm-hmm. right? I think I don't know if they're going to build a new stadium. That, I was ju- just wondering that too. Is like the it only won't be finished in time for September, right? Even I doubt if they it. do. So Map Free Stadium should still be in existence. I want that place redeemed. Like after we <laughs> lost to Mexico mm-hmm. to start um, twenty eighteen World Cup mm-hmm. qualifiers, Rafa Marquez right scored mm-hmm. late. Uh, we lost to Mexico. It's not as if like the spell is broken and that Columbus Stadium is no good to us ever again, right? No. I think we should go to Columbus. I think we should go to. Um, Sporting KC, mm-hmm. I love their stadium. Red Bull Arena is another one where I'd like to uh, like maybe get some turnaround because mm-hmm. of what happened against Costa Rica last yeah. time. Remember that didn't go well. Yeah, um, I'd like I'd like for Red Bull Arena to be um, a venue that works yeah. for I, us. I know you've got one that you're keen to visit. I liked Minnesota. Yes. Uh, I liked what we saw from Minnesota in the Gold Cup. I wouldn't Alliance mind Stadium. Is it called now? Yeah, was that the Gold Cup or was that a Gold Cup warm up match? I can't remember. Either way, I liked it, and I, I would and I wouldn't mind seeing more of it, and especially if we maybe are playing a warm weather opponents in in like winter <laughs> like maybe maybe we uh maybe we go to minnesota and we see how that goes for them um we've also got it worked for the snow for game is all I'm um saying. orlando we've mm-hmm. also got orlando we do have orlando i mean they, they didn't really fill it they did but not we got that good result against canada and again if it's if it's some bad weather and we want to like warm mm-hmm. our bones a little bit could do worse than going to orlando there were more people at Orlando than the Cayman Islands, right? There, yeah, many okay. more. Like 13,000. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah, I think I think those would work for me. I'm assuming Nashville are going to have a, a new stadium coming online. Not uh, just yet. But yeah, I think we've got some time gonna for that I think they're going to play at the, uh, the NFL stadium for a bit, right? Yeah. Or, all right. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think I'm, I'm confident with all those. I'm comfortable with those selections. All right. There we go. There we are. Uh, we look forward to seeing what they are, though, because it's always interesting. It right? is. It is. All and right. we always like it when they're slightly closer to uh, the East Coast. Like the mid-Atlantic area yeah. is always a plus. I mean, if they could all be in Richmond. That would be ideal. I don't know um, where they'd play. Jose Lopez <laughs> yeah. City Stadium. Jose Lopez. Uh-huh. How many games will Pulisic, McKenney, Adams, and Dest start and finish together next year? So I have a really bummer answer to this one, which is I think it remains Adams is the issue in that uh, equation because Pulisic. Like yeah, he missed some time here and there this 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 year, but a lot of that I think can be explained by uh, playing a lot of games both for club and country. I'm yeah. less concerned about him. Weston McKinney has been a consistent player for the U.S. Sergio Dest thus far in his what two games of eligibility <laughs> or like of like total eligibility. It really comes down to Tyler Adams, and that's an injury 
where we kind of like, oh, he's coming back soon. Oh, he's coming back soon. Oh, he's training. He'll be back soon. Yeah. Oh, he'll still be back soon. And I think I heard Matt Doyle talking about it uh, on Extra Time that like even his like latest Instagram photos are him very lightly training with light weights. Yeah. It still doesn't seem like he's close to Oof. consistent first team training, which means he's not even close to consistent first team games. All right. So in terms of coming up with a number, mm-hmm. um, there are games that these guys could be available for. Mm-hmm. Not January because nope. they're not eligible for it or they're not available for it. Two games in March. Two games in June, because even if we lose the semifinal, there's a mm-hmm. third place playoff. Two games in September. And we would we would assume normally there's like a warm up game before like any sort of competition. I Do don't you... know if the don't know if there will be. Okay, because I don't know if there's time because we might be using all the international dates to uh, to go into. Okay, this. But here's the games that I can uh, guarantee. Cool, all cool. right, let me start again. Mm. Two games in March. Yep. Two games in June. Two games in September. Two games in October. Two games in November. Uh-huh. Ten games. Yep. There are ten games available. I will. We, this is very pedantic. I will guarantee that they will start and finish zero games together. Really? Because either someone will be injured or missing or someone will get subbed out. Yeah, that's it's a good chat. It's the start and finish that's the problem. If we maybe go to – so that's the pedantic answer is zero, right, because of the way that works. Yeah. Games. But if we go maybe more with the spirit of the question, how many games will they all be on the field at the same time together? Mm-hmm. I'm not – I don't know, maybe four, depending on Adams eventually getting back. It's a, it's a depressingly low number. I'm with you on Based that. Based on one. our 20, 2019 experience, I mean, it's low, right? and like we we st- gosh, this is going to be a real bummer. But like we don't know if this is an outlier, like a really rough year for Tyler Adams. We have seen in the past, it's been I'm, since March, right, oof. with just one quick game back for the DFB Pokal. If you if you take that out, it's been eight months. I can't believe how bummed I'm about to be about this one, but like. We've seen it before with players that, like, they have an injury. It takes forever to come back. When they come back, maybe they've lost a little bit, but they try to force it back. They get an injury again or they take to, like, like, I'm not saying that's where Tyler Adams will go, but that, I think, is the big factor in yeah. how many games they all get to play together. So, yeah, maybe maybe five, optimistically, they'll be on yeah. the field, like, like at the start together. Uh, with the substitution thing in mind, it feels like those four, maybe Pulisic is the one who would most likely be subbed out because he tends to keep McKenney in. If you're playing a competitive game, maybe he keeps the right back in. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Anyway, I, yeah. yeah, so I think maybe like my hope would be that we have them for those two uh, CONCACAF games in June. Maybe for some of the World Cup qualifiers, we have all four of them on the field at the same time. I'm going to be optimistic and say six. Okay. Six starts together. All right. Jonathan Cantu. Oh, boy. Jonathan Cantu mm. asks, do you think any senior team members will play for the Olympic team if they qualify? So for those who don't know, Olympics um, in uh, Tokyo in mm. August, it's a U23 tournament, but you can name three overage players. You can essentially supplement your U23 team with three overage players. Um, I'll give you one, which is that uh, Brian Sharetta suggested that our U23 goalkeepers mm-hmm. are a little inexperienced and weak right now, and this might be a perfect tournament for someone like Zach Steffen yep. uh, to go and be an overage player. It's never like the the overage players that you like totally want, though. Like I remember <laughs> yeah. always hoping it was going to well, be like... you always just pick your three best players yeah. and say, I hope it's that. I, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, I, But I do think... Zach Steffen is maybe one of our best players at this point, and I think that makes a lot of sense for him to go, and that would make me very excited and slightly more optimistic mm-hmm. uh, to maybe significantly more optimistic. I think Zach Steffen's very good. There's always the trouble of it running into the start of the European League season. It, well, and, right? But then also simultaneously happens at a time when MLS will be ongoing. So then do you take an MLS player and take them away from their team for the inter- duration of the Olympics? It's easier to get them away. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so w- do you have any other ones? Because I was leaning like maybe like a DeAndre Yedlin to get him more reps and kind of like keep him in consideration and see how he does and maybe he can be a leader for the team going forward. I mean, I think it it sort of depends on the club situation, right, which we cannot foresee in August. Yeah. So we might as well just go uh, like best case scenario. I mean, maybe like Michael Bradley for experience <laughs> and because he might not make the 2022 World Cup, this could be his last tournament. Uh-huh. So let him go and play at the 2020 Olympics. My, Josie Altador maybe wouldn't be a bad shout yes. either. Just... Oh, yeah, because he's missed so many mm-hmm. tournaments. Actually, I think that is the best shout. But then there's a striker who's not getting the experience they would have got. On yeah, the, I'm uh, fine. Josie Altador right? makes a difference there. <laughs> I'm going to say Josie Altador. I'm going to say Zach Steffen. And then it's, it's a tough one after that. Maybe Jackson Yule. Throw Jackson Yule in there and let him run a midfield. Jackson Yule's a really good shout, actually. Um, what about senior team members that are actually under 23? Because hmm. guys yeah. that could still play are Adams, Pulisic, mm-hmm. Dest, McKenney, Sargent. We haven't talked about Way in a long time. Our first team is really young, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tim Ware's a good one because he, he's, missed, he's missed so many tournaments. Mm-hmm. No, he hasn't. Sorry, he played at the U20 World Cup, right? Yeah. yeah. He just missed a lot of time lately. Mm-hmm. Jackson Yule, like you mentioned. So I don't know, it's hard. Like, I'd be happy with any of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... 
as I said, though, it never ends up being entirely who you want. It never ends up being entirely who you don't want either. So yeah. whoever your most medium want is who will end up being those three players. All right. Okay, but I'm, I'm just getting in my head now. Not the overage players. Tyler Boyd is the player I most medium want, so Tyler <laughs> Boyd will be on that team. Not the overage players. Think of those high-profile guys mm-hmm. who are still under 23. If you're Christian Pulisic, do you risk your preseason with Chelsea? Nope. By going to the Olympics with the U.S.? No, you don't. And I Why think not? Because that was the specific, one of the specific reasons that Frank Lampard spelled out, is that he did not have a break transitioning from the summer to Chelsea's preseason. He came back early, but he still only had like a week off, and thus maybe wasn't up to the fitness levels. Took yeah. him a little bit longer. He kind of rushed back. And so I think with that in mind, I think Pulisic probably needs a full summer off to kind of relax, right, recuperate. Okay, so you're Tyler Adams. Uh, you've missed so much soccer. Are you keen to do this just to get an international tournament and get a load more soccer under your belt? Or are you, even in August, watching that adductor and thinking, I've got to take it easy? I mean, if he's fit, like, we don't know. Like, it may well be that he comes back, he plays some games, and it's oh, still no, not quite like, there. Assuming he, like, comes back in January and is, you know, fit and has a good second half of the season, um, if it gets to August, is it is it wise to go and play in a whole tournament? I think I'm leaning towards no, just because even after you've yeah. come back from an injury and you've been good for a few months rest is still kind of important to yeah. make sure it doesn't happen again. I think again, so, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Weston McKenney might be the one. If he's like not getting transferred and he's settled in at Schalke yep. and it's kind of like he can a little bit take it for granted that he's going to be part of Schalke's first team plans, give or take. I feel like he could take the chance and go and uh, play in the Olympics in August. And remember way back when, I think this was even in the Sarakin era, that like when Weston McKinney was first getting called in, but like Michael Bradley, Josie Altador weren't weren't being called in as much, even under like Burhalter early, I believe. But like we saw Weston McKinney coming in and he was like playing the slap game with people and was kind of goofing around and seemed to be a sort of leader focal point for that team. I think because, a good personality. To yeah, have, I yeah. think because he was because it was a, a younger team that didn't have as many like true veterans. I yeah. think people kind of were happy to look to him. So I think you put him in that spot with the Olympic team, and I think maybe it works out. So I'm going to say. Josie, Weston McKinney, Zach Steffen. All right. I would like those a lot. Okay, I'll go with that as okay. well. I'll All right. go with that as well. Two more questions mm-hmm. to get to. Two more questions to get to. USMNT Tweets asks, who will make a bigger impact with the senior team next year, if any, uh, Yanez, Ledesma, Mendez, or Reyna? It all depends who breaks through into their first team, right? Uh, None of them if they don't get any first team minutes. Mm-mm. Weirdly, my guess is that Gio Reyna gets his Dortmund debut mm-hmm. before Yuli Yanez Gets his oh, you guys are doing really well with the Wolfsburg U19s, though, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, this is tough. This is tough. This is tough. I'm going to say Gio Reyna because I yep. think he makes a surprise appearance for Dortmund, and then uh, maybe by impact, I think plays like one minute or five minutes for the senior team. I agree. I also think for two other little reasons in there, I do genuinely think one of them is his dad helps. That like not in terms of like oh, his dad's Claudio Reyna, so he gets a chance, but more so that there are relationships that I feel like. Probably Greg Berhalter having played with Claudio Reyna can be like, yeah. hey, how's Gio doing? Like, I've never seen him this good. Like, I do think <laughs> that probably helps a little bit. And two is just that it's at Dortmund where there's already kind of prior of young American comes through, gets minutes. They develop him really well, and it yeah. works out well. So I feel like that probably also plays into his favor that if he's with the first team training getting some minutes, I think that translates more directly to getting USMNT looks. I actually want to change my answer okay. to Richie Ledesma. Okay. Because I think by the end of 2020, he might have made his PSV debut. Mm-hmm. Andy will have played, hopefully, in the Olympics. So maybe he has a bigger platform than Gio Reyna no. um, by the end of 2020. I'm thinking, like, late 2020. We shall see. Yeah. So, and but would that be too late to have a big impact? I mean, if he comes off the bench and gets an assist at the Azteca to salvage a 1-1 draw mm-hmm. against Mexico in World Cup qualifying, then no, that's not too late to have an impact. Let me ask you this, then. Of those four, and I think it probably goes back to Reyna, instead of bigger impact, which of them do you think makes their... USMNT debut or gets their first call up to the senior national team first? Um, I th- actually think Ledesma. Okay. Because I'm just thinking that maybe he has the best chance of having a big Olympics mm-hmm. and a decent chance of making a first team debut. And those two things might propel him into some sort of senior recognition. All right. Yeah. Okay. So like Gio Reyna might make a Dortmund debut, but he probably isn't going to the Olympics, right? Because he's what, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. He's way, way, uh, way, way younger than the rest of the U23s. That's what he wants. He wants you to have low expectations, so he surpasses them. Uh, Final question comes from Alex Calabrese. Daryl, do you want to ask this one, or do you want me to ask? Um, I'll ask. uh, Alex asks, what do you think about Georgi Mihailovic possibly moving to Germany? Mm -hmm. He's training with Nuremberg this week, can confirm, saw them tweet, and there's possible interest from Paderborn and Union Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- yeah, I'm okay with it because I'm okay with it. I am because 
we were really going to veto it. We were well. It's just because we were excited about what we saw from Georgi Mihailovic early. Mm-hmm. We thought like, okay, this could be a number ten. He's creative. He's exciting. Then there was the half spaces situation. Half then, turn situation. Excuse me. Then we started to see a few more moments of like, ooh, maybe not quite yet. Maybe he hasn't quite developed the it ability. Was a physicality thing, right? Yeah. Where he got knocked around a bit. Yeah, well. and yeah. so I think. All of those things combine, plus by all accounts not having a very good season at Chicago, not re- necessarily even like fully endearing himself to Chicago fans oh, this yeah, season. I about that. So I think it's probably a good time for him to get a move. I'm always a little nervous with teams that are like in the relegation battle or are like likely to be relegated or not even in the fir- like in the Bundesliga. Um, I feel better about Nuremberg because I, I think that's one where in the second bu- two Bundesliga there's maybe less pressure right away. Whereas with uh, Union and Paderborn, uh, maybe they don't have as much money, so that if they're going to spend big, they're expecting him big for them, uh, expecting him to then come in and have a big impact. And if he can't do that, then maybe he falls way down the pecking order very fast. So maybe he has more chance of playing at Nuremberg. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, um, I, think so. I would also say in terms of us being worried about his physicality, I think going to Germany and playing even in the second Bundesliga, yeah. you're kind of getting forged in fire at that point, yeah, right? There's absolutely. No, no lack of physicality in German soccer, nah. so it might be good for him, mm-hmm. and it might be like a a bit of a shock to begin with, but he'll probably get used to it and it will improve his game. Uh, yes, yeah. and no disrespect to Nuremberg, but if he does go to Union Berlin, I wouldn't mind that either because I just want to go to Union Stadium and I want to see a <laughs> game there. So, you know, it gives you more reason to go. Do you think he's going to invite you? Probably not, but I'll go anyway. I'll, st- I'll storm the gates. <laughs> All right, no, we ran out of questions. We did. How long did we go? Oh, an hour. Okay, we yeah. did just fine. All right. Thank you to everybody for tweeting all those questions at us. We're sorry we couldn't answer all of them, mm-hmm. but we had a good go. We did. We had a good go. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. You didn't want to answer the question about why does Greg Berhalter suck? That was that, <laughs> the, we, we only got that one 46 times did on Twitter. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, the answer is he doesn't. The there. answer is that that's how he eats his lollipops. <laughs> um, we will be back tomorrow, Wednesday, He's a patient man, with um, with a roundup of all the news that we've we kind of haven't had a chance to talk about because mm. we've been so very myopically US focused <laughs> for the past few days. But all sorts has happened in the world of soccer, right? Mm-hmm. So we are on Wednesday going to do a big, quick fire news catch up. Um, if you stick with us on Wednesday, you'll be uh, well informed about everything that's happened in the past week or so. All right. All right. No pressure. No pressure. pressure. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. And thanks for taking the time to watch USA Cuba with me because it was not always easy. Yeah, let's not not do it again anytime soon. Let's make all future games a bit more more challenging. I'd be fine with that. All right. Listeners, thank you for listening and we will talk to you again soon. 